No? All right, well, um, we are talking about the Apostles' Creed, working our way through the divine service, and we just kind of decided as we got to the creeds, we would spend a little bit of time here. Um, not only are we going to finish the Apostles' Creed, but we're going to roll into the Nicene next, and even uh, bits and pieces of the Athanasian Creed. This isn't meant to be a super, super in-depth study because it's a part of a bigger one. Um, and I know that I sort of get bogged down in these things, but uh, this will give us a chance. So we, we did the first article, the Father, but then we, we, we hopped one and, and we switched over to the third. Because while Jesus says nobody can know the Father except through the Son, and nobody can know the Son except, except to those whom he has revealed. And how is he revealed? But through the Holy Spirit. So if we want to get to the Father, to really understand the Father, we have to start with the Son. We do, because otherwise God is just the maker and the one who either gives you lightning and fire from on high or many, many presents. And how you manipulate him to get what you want is entirely different. But to have a father in heaven, known through a son, is a father who loves you and has promised to take care of you as a father takes care of his children. But if you want to know who Jesus is, well, we, we have to start with the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we're, we're left with something real different. But to, to circle all the way around to it, the second article of the Creed, Jesus. I believe in Jesus Christ, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. And our catechism helps us a little bit, too. We can say, what does this mean? I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, um, is my Lord, who has redeemed me, a lost and condemned person, purchased and won me from all sins, death, and the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy and precious blood, his innocence, suffering, and death, that I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as he has risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity. This is most certainly true. And remember, when we talk about the creeds, what makes the creed? Like, what, what, what gets included? Everything we need to know. Um, there we go. Yeah. When it comes to the creed, like, it, first of all, it's a statement of belief. Um, it, it's a recognition. We believe these things. We collectively believe this. This is what Christianity is. And so we have different creeds, right? And so we started with the Apostles' Creed which was this. And then we will add into it the Nicene Creed, which, which goes a little bit deeper. The God of God, light of light, very God of very God stuff. Um, and the Athanasian Creed expands on it even more. And we talked about this as we started on creeds too. Um, inside of our church, we, we have more. We have the small catechism. That's a creed. We have the Book of Concord. That's a creed. That, that's something that we have promised to believe. This is how we understand the scriptures. It's not a replacement for the Bible, but it's, it's how we understand it. And so to put it in the creed, it means this is what we think is important for this stuff. And so when it comes to what to chiefly understand the Son, what miracles are in there? Healings? Walking on water? Right. When we, when we start to see this, um, it, it helps us start to narrow in on the question because it was asked of Olin, and it's still asked. Let's go Mark 8.27. I'm just going to read this little section. Uh, again, Mark 8.27. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them not to tell anyone about him. Who do people say that I am? In other words, are we still kind of arguing over what's a Jesus? Who do people say that I am? The creed actually is, is supposed to answer this for us. When people say, who is Jesus? We don't actually want your own personal approach to it. We don't want your imaginations. We, we don't want um, the most important parts to you. Because that's, that's exactly been the problem all along. It's not that you don't matter. You, of course, matter. You matter so much God died for you. But Jesus is walking around healing people. And, and so finally, he throws up his hands. He goes, who do people say that I am? And they say, oh, you're just a miracle worker. 
you've been working miracles and I was sick and I didn't like being sick and I really didn't want to be sick and so I came to you and you made me not sick. And so I know who you are, Jesus. You were the miracle worker. Or, you know what I really don't like is those Pharisees looking down on everybody and, and I, I absolutely don't like that uh, the, the, there's a, an, an occupation in Jerusalem. Let's get rid of Pontius Pilate. That'd be swell. Um, and, and so Jesus is the one who um, seems to outwit them at every last cause and cry out against them. You are one of the prophets. You see, when you ask somebody what Jesus means to you and you answer outside of the creed, it gets to be problematic. Because how is Jesus more than just a prophet? Well, yeah, he's God, first of all. He's the ones all the prophets were talking about. Um, how is Jesus more than just a miracle worker? Because that's what everybody wants from him. Let's make him an earthly king. Why not? Good. Yeah, he came to save us through his death and resurrection, which I think is in the creed, right? See why the creed is important here. It helps narrow in, and actually, it helps us confront our idols too. Because of all the things that I want Jesus to be, I answer from the creed. Because I want Jesus to be the person who never lets me want for anything and throws rocks at all the people I don't like, and makes them look foolish, on anything political is clearly of the devil. Um, that's the Jesus I want. And, and instead, we do this. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. That's who Jesus is. If your definition of Jesus isn't centered around that. Not only just doesn't include that, but isn't centered around that. You have the wrong Jesus. And the problem is that, that today, when, when we ask, who is Jesus, we still get all these same answers, right? He's a political activist, philosopher, just wanted us to all not be jerks to each other. Really, Jesus' only real message was be kind. Um, Jesus would never call certain things sin, even though if you read the Bible, he called them sin. Um, when we don't make the focus of the creed, the focus of our faith. Very quickly, we end up with a different faith. Are you kind of with me on that? Um, and so there are our church bodies then that, that um, for their confirmation especially, because we can't really make you do homework after confirmation. I don't understand it, but um, uh, I don't know. Confirmation is where you actually promise to start coming to Bible study, promise to take advantage of, of these things put forward for your faith. But as soon as we confirm you, we stop asking anything probably of all. Um, that's weird. I don't know. Um, but, but we make confirmands write essays. What does Jesus mean to you? And you know what the truth is? I don't care what Jesus means to you. I, I don't. I, I care who Jesus is for you. I care who has revealed himself to be to save you. And if you don't know who that is, whatever he means to you. I mean, there's people who, who um, absolutely love Jesus because they're convinced that the faith healer in the tent, they can't stay in town for longer than two weeks or they'll get chased out. That faith healer, though, will take away their arthritis through Jesus. They love Jesus until Jesus doesn't do what they want. We have the creed so that we actually know who Jesus is. And we start not even just with the cross. Because the cross, if it was just a man isn't enough, right? Because if, if Jesus was just a guy who ran his mouth too much and got killed, how is that different from a hundred other stories in history? A thousand other. Happens, right? Even if he's just a miracle worker. How many of the prophets did miracles? Got martyred. So before we can even start with this, crucified and risen, what does he have to be? God. This person walking around is also God. He is conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. So we say then that Jesus has two natures, right? The two natures of Jesus are God and man. 50-50? No. 100% each. We don't want to start dividing this thing up because that's not what the scriptures say. He is perfect God and perfect man. Perfect man is not 50% man. And perfect God is not 50% God. It's just not. 
Jesus is not less than with respect to his divinity, only with respect to his humanity. And we'll get to that with the Athanasian Creed, right? With respect to his divinity, is Jesus God? Why do people have a hard time with that one? That Jesus was God. Mm-hmm. Right. Men die. Men screw up. Nobody's perfect, right? What else? If he's God, how could he die? If he's God and he tells me to do stuff, do I kind of have to do it? <laughs> I don't like that. If he's man, I can disagree with him a whole lot easier. Why else do people kind of struggle with the idea that Jesus is actually God? How do people envision God? How do the cartoons draw him? Right. So like Jesus? Not like Jesus. Big, booming voice. Glowing. White beard, always. Don't know why. Um, Nobody expects God to humiliate themselves that way. That's perfect. That's the real reason. Um, why do people have trouble believing that Jesus is man? Right. We, it's hard to fathom the idea of the, of the two natures. And I think it's still Claire's answer. The idea that, that um, this, this being would humble himself so much to take on our weakness. The idea that, that God pooped himself in the manger. Like, we, he had dirty diapers. That's hard to get our heads around. Um, let alone on the cross. Um, but these have been the two big heresies that just sort of bounce back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. The first one, that believing Jesus is God but having a hard time with the idea that he's true man is called Gnosticism. And that was one of the earliest heresies in the Christian church, so early that John is actually writing against it in his gospel, that during the life of the apostle, these people have already popped up and said, I, I just, I'm having a hard time believing this is actually man. They believe that you know, Jesus was a spirit who maybe looked like a man, but he's God. He can't be a person, because everything wrong with this world is fleshly. And I can't wait until I'm done with the flesh, and then I can escape it. But here's the thing. If Jesus is man, is there a problem with flesh? Not according to God. When God made Adam and Eve, and he called them perfect, they had bodies. When he promises a last day, he doesn't just promise you a spirit in heaven, but a, a resurrection of your body. Um, and later on, we had an idea, a problem with the idea that, that Jesus would be God. And this was um, a guy named Arius, who, um, remember, if you'll, you'll pay attention to uh, St. Nicholas, um, slapped in the ear um, for denying the divinity of Christ. Um, we, we fully believe in ear-punching Santa in these parts, but this is what, what sparked what would eventually become the Nicene Creed, where we have all that God of God, light of light, very God of very God, because we can say, all right, Jesus is clearly doing stuff that you and I can't do, but he died, so he can't be God. And we bounce back and forth and back and forth throughout time and history. What do you think we have a bigger problem with as a society today? The idea that Jesus is God or the idea that Jesus is a person right now? I think you're right. The idea that Jesus was God. That's harder for us to fathom. It's, it's easy to say that he is one of many wise people. But that's kind of what we have right now is a pantheon of, of beliefs that just all sort of, we, we pick and choose. Um, and if Jesus is the God who says, nobody else, just me, nobody can come to the Father except through me, that's, that's tough. What do you guys think? Some people look at him in that because he died. 
Mm. Mm. Right. Right. God would make sure that my political party was always in office. Yeah. A king. Oh, man, were they looking out for a king on Palm Sunday? Or is, have we talked about this maybe once or twice or every year since the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus? As it turns out, a lot of these things are addressed. That's um, why we go back to, again, a creed, electionary. It actually gives us a way to speak about these things that we are dealing with today. It, it's today that the crowds are still out looking for a king and not a guy. He took on humanity. He took on humanity. So when did he become man? So we have a Nicene Creed that actually spells that out for us, right? When did God became man? Is that actually a, a phrase right in there? And he became man. There was a time where the second person of the Trinity was only God, was not man. Will he always be a man from now on? Yes. He assumed our humanity. And so on the last day when he returns, he will return in body. Good. Um... Was Jesus always God? Yes. Was there ever a time where he wasn't God? No. Um, and, and that's important to remember, too, because we, we sort of like to play with the God who died by saying, like, Jesus had special Jesus powers that he turns on and turns off. And we kind of talked about this in Elders, didn't we? Jesus doesn't have special God powers that, like, now I'm being God, now I'm not, so I can die. The, the humanity of, 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 of Jesus was met with the divinity of Jesus. He is God, and he is man. He did things that only people could do, like hunger and thirst and cry and die. And he's done plenty of things that only God could do, like rise, along with all the miracles too. Um, but for Jesus to be both God and man, that means not just a, a, um, a bunch of random stuff. That, that actually has something to speak to us. Um, in our situations, in our needs, in our understanding. What does it mean that Jesus was a man for us? That he took on our sins, that he died for us. But to be a man is to know the things that people are going through then, right? So Jesus had things that are common to us. It's not like when... I have a limited understanding of childbirth, right? Like, I recognize that it, I, I hear it's painful. Um, I, I, I stood there and watched. She squeezed my hand really hard. It hurt. I don't know. Um, <laughs> you can tell me about it, but is there a certain point where I can empathize, but I might not be able to relate? Right. And, and this is our favorite thing to talk about these days, right? You can't actually speak to this thing unless you've experienced it. And so... How can, and you can pick your particular topic, how can a man talk about abortion rights if he hasn't actually experienced it? How do you answer that? Perfect. There is a right and a wrong, whether or not we've experienced it. Uh, right and wrong doesn't simply exist in your experience. And so we, we find our right and wrong in the word of the Lord. But at the same time, we also recognize then, um, having not experienced it, will there be a limit to the understanding that we can have about it? We can empathize, but we might have trouble relating, right? Can God struggle to relate to what it is to suffer temptation? Jesus was tempted. He knows. He doesn't have to struggle to relate. He knows. Jesus had a body. He knows what it is to hunger. He knows what it is to want. Jesus had a gender. He knows what it is to, to experience everything that goes along with that. He had feelings. He had needs. He had fears. He had temptations. He had everything that is common to us. So that when we, when we relate to God, we're not relating to a God who can't understand us. And I think that's the one thing that we can take away from, especially the debates today, that, that get so heated and say, you can't speak to this because you didn't experience it. And right is right and wrong is wrong, whether or not you've experienced it. But at the same time, what we can recognize is empathy might be in short supply these days. 
actually trying to relate to the other side. Um, and that Jesus actually empathizes with us, sympathizes with us, knows what we're going through is not a bad thing, but a good thing. I'm not saying then lean into sin so that you know what it feels like. But I am saying that um, that people want to make sure that they're not alone in what they're feeling. And instead of just piling on a whole bunch of other people who've done the same stupid stuff, we can point them to a God who does know, who's all-knowing, but also became man to suffer as we have suffered. Are you kind of with me on this? We actually then, we, we can start to speak to these things and, and say, you're right, there might be places where I, I sort of butt up into what I can understand. But I know my God bore these temptations because they were yours, and he bore yours on the tree. I know that my, my God became man to actually suffer want, suffer every fear that, that is at the root of everything that we're, we're fighting about these days. Fights about power, control, idolatry. He knows those things. He didn't yield to them, but he knows them. Um, that, that when people came to Jesus in need, what does it say? He has mercy on them. What does it mean to have mercy? I mean, we can, yeah, we can talk about it as uh, an, un, an undeserved gift. But it's, it's, it's a deep felt thing. It's like your gut's moving around inside of you thing. Um, for Jesus, yeah, to, to have mercy isn't just sort of like, you get forgiveness, you get forgiveness, everybody gets forgiveness. It, it's, it's a God who actually loves you in what you are going through, and it actually bothers him that you are hurting. He's not just trying to hurt, rush you out the door with a prescription so you'll leave him alone. He actually is, is deeply moved by everybody he comes across. That's why over and over again you have this Jesus who does two conflicting things seemingly. He keeps saying over and over again, I have to go to Jerusalem. The Son of Man must be killed and on the third day rise. But every time he comes across somebody, even though he says, I'm not going to be an earthly king, what's he do to him? He shows him mercy and heals him. You know why? There you go. Um, this is the kind of, of God it is. And... Um, that, that matters to us. He, he, he had to assume that which he would redeem. Um, what Jesus did not assume, he did not redeem. In other words, if Jesus didn't become man tempted by the seventh commandment, we would not be people redeemed from sinning against the seventh commandment. That which Jesus did not assume, he did not redeem. So if Jesus didn't become Take upon himself our sins, all of them. Well, if Jesus didn't die for it on the cross, somebody's got to pay for it, right? And so if I want to be a Baptist, and I see you out at dinner, and I say, I'll pay for all your food, but not your alcohol. You still owe some, right? It's better than nothing, but... <laughs> so we need Jesus to die not for some sins, but for all sins. Um, what does it mean for Jesus to be God? This was, again, Bible study Sunday. Could Jesus sin? No. He could not sin. He was not born with original sin that is tainted. Um, everyone since Adam fell. But more, he is God. Can God sin? No, God sets what is righteousness himself according to his nature. You know why it's a sin to steal? Because God actually really wants you to have the stuff he gave you. You know why it's a sin to ruin somebody's reputation? Because God actually wants you to have a good one. These are reflections of God's character. So it's, it's, it's not just sort of like a question of God's power. Can God make a sandwich so big that he could not eat it? Or some other stupid question. It, it's really just a question of what kind of God do you have? And that's a better one to ask about. Instead of asking about simply God's power, ask about his nature. And that becomes a simpler thing. Um, in other words, you have a God who is promised and, do and doesn't break his promises. That's important to know. Before we quibble over how 
which magnitude of power he has over us. I'd rather know whether or not he's going to turn his back on us. I'd rather know whether or not he means what he says. I'd rather know whether or not he can mess up himself. Because whether or not he can make a sandwich so big that he cannot eat it honestly doesn't change anything. But if he's a liar or an evil person, well, that matters a whole lot. So let's start with how powerful God is. He rose from the dead. Let's start right there. That's impressive. I need that. Also, what can I know about him? Who is he? Can he sin? No, it's against his nature. Sin is really that, it's, it's simply that which destroys, that which goes against that which God is. God is good by his definition. If he does it, by its definition, it is good. Everything that God does is good because God is what sets the definition of good. It's not that we take a standard and hold God up to it. It's that God is the standard. And that matters. If we just hold God up to the standard, what happens when the standard changes? No, we have American Christianity. We have a, a, a group of people that are more loving than Jesus. More loving than God in that we don't want God to call things sin. Even though, again, that which Christ did not assume, he did not redeem. For it to be sin means he died for it. For it to be not sin means he didn't die for it. Did Jesus die for this? That's the real question. Because, again, it's a question of the God's nature. He is the standard of what is good. And so... When God then very much wants you to have his name and receive the benefits that come from it, that is by definition good. When God wants you to not kill each other, that is by definition good. It cannot change because it's a reflection of God. God cannot sin because, well, it goes against who he is. It's not, that he doesn't, it's not a question of power. It's a question of nature. And I would rather talk about a God who simply cannot possibly fail me than quibble over whether or not he's powerful enough if he can already rise from the dead and give me all that I need for this body and life and all the I need for the resurrection of the body and the next. Are you kind of with me on that? For God also to be God, um, for, for Jesus to be God, means that he could not fail. We, we sort of always like to have this big contest between God and the devil. Is God going to lose? Is it possible? <laughs> like, it's not, even, it's not even a fair fight. It, it's you wrestling against a lesser creature that you made. It's literally God kicking over a sandcastle. Who's going to win, the sandcastle or your foot? Every time. It's, it's that. Um, are you kind of with me so far? So why did Jesus need to be born of a virgin? Good. First Peter two twenty two. He committed no sin, neither was any deceit found in his mouth. Sin is contagious. It is genetic. It is passed down from father's son. Came from Adam into Cain and Abel to Seth, all the way down into you and me. Jesus avoided that by being of a virgin. Yeah. He didn't inherit that which was sin. That, in fact, is the only way that God was not like me. What was the only difference between Jesus and me as, as human beings? Well, there, that's it, as human beings. Yes, he was also God, but, but what's the difference between Jesus' humanity and my humanity? He was sinless. That's the only difference. Otherwise, just like me. And so he knows what it is to experience temptation, but he actually has this power that I don't have. And so I can say, don't think about pink elephants, and all of you think about, right, Jesus could somehow resist that temptation. I don't get it. But then again, it, it's... It's that which he, he received. Um, Jesus is not like us in that he didn't inherit sin. He needed to be man so that he could, what though? Not, not just take on our sin, but also take on then our, take on our death. Because the wages of sin is death. And so he had to take on our humanity so that he could take on our sin and our death. That's Hebrews 2.14.
You want to take a look at it? Hebrews 2.14. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. In other words, if Jesus wants to destroy death, he first has to assume death. He has to take death on himself. And God can't die, so he has to become man. So did the Father die on the cross? Did the Son die on the cross? Did the Spirit die on the cross? No. Could the Son have died before he was um, conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary? No. You know why? Right. Only men die. So, he became like us in every respect so that he could save us. Um, why did Jesus need to be God, though? Let's go Mark 10.45. Mark 10.45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Why did Jesus have to be God? Pay for it. Yeah. So here's the thing. What's, what's worth more, the blood of man or the blood of God? Why? Yeah. It, right. You can lay down your life for a friend. You absolutely could. How many of you can save all of humanity by your own death? He had to be God because his sacrifice is worth a lot more. Why do they have to slay a lamb every year? Yeah. There had to be bloodshed, but, but why every year? How many times did Jesus have to die? What well, was worth more? The one all-atoning sacrifice. He had to be God because a human's death wouldn't cover anything but himself. You really, you want to get to heaven by works. I suppose it would be possible to, if you were without sin. Have no sin in you, none. Obey the law perfectly and then die, and you will be raised. Raised. Because no sin, no death. That's but that's impossible. But even if it weren't, you would only save yourself, no one else. And so Jesus had to be God because the sacrifice then atones for, for all of us. Um, we know that he is man. We know that he is God. But he is also what? Lord. What does it mean that Jesus is Lord? What's a Lord? Good. He rules. He takes care of us. He's not just God and man apart from you, but for you. He, he, yes, he's in charge, but he rules over you. He cares for you. He protects you. Good. Um, are you kind of with me so far? So we do this thing, um, and we want to be careful. Um, we say the Father created, the Son redeemed, the Holy Spirit sanctified, but did the Son have to do with your creation? He was there. How about John 1, 1 to 3? I mean, I know he was there because he was God. John 1, 1 to 3, though. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. All things were made through him. Namely, the Word. God spoke. The Word is the second person of the Trinity. Did the Son have to do with your creation? Intimately. In the same way, did the Father have to do with your redemption? It wasn't like Jesus was going rogue against the Father. You're being so mean to them. I'm going to do something nice for them. No. The Father sent the Son. Good. Um, 
when we get to the Athanasian Creed, we'll take a deeper look at this part. But just hold on to it for right now. Um, Why did you need to be redeemed? Soul? Everybody's sinful. There it is. The wages of sin is death. Because death is bad. We, we do our very best to cozy up to it. We do our very, very best to sort of say that we're, we're fine with how things are, but we're not. Because it's an enemy. And it's not supposed to be something we're fine with. The only people fine with death are the people that are fine with all of the darkness that goes around with it. Whatever that is, that's not Christian. We hate death. We love the victory over it. We love heaven. We love the resurrection of the body. But death is the enemy. So much so that, well, it came from sin. The free gift of God, though, is life everlasting. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. If I have to get there through death, hurry up and baptize me. Unite me to Jesus and his so I can be united to him in his resurrection. Are you kind of with me on this? All right, so um, I want to go 2 Corinthians 5.19. 2 Corinthians 5.19. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Um, what's reconciliation? Made right. How do you make something right? Yeah, you, you, you correct what was wrong. So did the wrath of God just sort of like disappear? Here we have the cross. The message of reconciliation is the message of the cross. Jesus died to bear the punishment of God. There is wrath of God over sin. You know why? God doesn't like it when you pick on his kids. I mean, really. Why is that different from y'all? Y'all are sinners and you manage that one just fine. How much more with God? If sin actually breaks stuff, and it does, and we sin against people that God loves because he loves all of us, of course God is angry over that. Why wouldn't he be? He should be. The question is, what does he do with that wrath? It doesn't just up and disappear. That wrath is placed on Jesus. See, we're walking through the creed, and I know this seems rudimentary, but here's the difference between going to this over and over and over again and trying to sort of shoehorn Jesus into whatever it is you want him to be. That's what idolatry usually takes the form of. How can I make Jesus heal my sickness? I don't want to worry about the death and the cross stuff. I don't want to worry about the sin stuff. Why are you sick in the first place? I mean, if you, treat, if you tease it all the way back, it's sin. Ultimately, the, the, the thing that you have to recognize, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And everybody asks me, so you mean he has to die again? Well, it's probably a bummer. You know why? Because death is bad. You know why? Because he was resting before. With God. Even if we really do sort of push this thing back, what comes eventually if there's still sin? Death. I had a doctor tell me that everything that they do is just trying to delay the game. I mean, I guess. Okay. So, where's the end of it? This is why we, we have the creed again. This is why we, we take... Um, the, the approach from the scriptures that, that we do, everything circles around this thing because otherwise we, we don't have a sure promise of God, but, but more, otherwise we don't have anything that will actually endure in this world. Um, and so that when we actually want to start to talk about these things, um, we, we can speak to, um, well, the needs that we have right now. He was crucified, died, and was buried. Um, when he rose from the dead, um, did you do it physically or just spiritually? How do you know? Good. Yeah, the holes in his hand. Thomas, if you're really having a problem with this thing, poke. I mean, I'm not really going to enjoy it, but if you have to, do it. Eat with him. Good. Um, 
we have a, uh, he spent 40 days with them, teaching them afterwards. You notice there's a big difference between Peter at Pentecost and Peter on Good Friday, right? Seminary is a great thing. It knocked a lot of stupid out of me. How much more if I actually got to study under Christ? Um, that's good. Um, Christ actually did then rise from the dead physically. And how do we know it? Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 4 to 8. This is important. How do we know Jesus rose from the dead? 1 Corinthians 15, 4 to 8. Um, I'll just pick up at three. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. How many people saw him? Who else? Keep going. Mm-hmm. Then who? Even Paul. Um, how do we know Jesus rose from the dead? Witnesses. Witnesses. Not, he lives in my heart. Not, I just, I need it to be true. Not, it's my own private faith. It happened historically. There were witnesses. Why would they lie about it? Let me push that forward a little bit. 500 people, what if they had a mass hallucination? What if there was something in the water? Somebody wrote a book on that premise, a historian. Mass hallucinations, uh, you're going to have a hard time explaining why just these 500 people did, why they all saw the exact same thing, why. What if he was just knocked unconscious? No, they weren't all in the same place at the same time. Right. What if, yeah, what if, what if the disciples sort of just played a trick? Right. The disciples were already afraid of dying. Why, why lean on this thing? That, I, yeah. Good. If, yeah, if this is a con, you usually give up before you're disemboweled for it. Nobody really had a great reason to, to stick to this lie. Whatever it was, they gave their lives for it. They believed it. Um, and so the question is, are they believing hearsay or are they believing something they themselves saw firsthand? They saw it. That's where it started. That's, that's where this, this thing got its, its legs. Christ's resurrection is not your private faith. It's just not. Because if you don't believe it, it's still true. It was witnessed by this many people. For, a thing is either true or it's not. Like at the end of the day, there aren't degrees of truth. It is either nighttime or it is not nighttime. If 500 people saw a helicopter fly over Windside, if the whole town saw it, I mean, um, what if you missed it, though? Why are they? Okay. I, I guess if everybody saw it and I didn't. Now, I understand that this has more significance, so um, I, I get that, but now... What if I promise that I will shoot you in the stomach and, and watch you die a slow, painful death unless you, you change your mind and you don't? This must be a pretty important helicopter to somebody. This is not just a, a, a passing historical event. This matters. People gave their lives for it. Um, Jesus physically rose from the dead, and, and we can know about it because, well, it was witnessed by people. Are you with me? Um, if there was no resurrection, then what? Yeah, this is all in vain. Then I need a new job. Y'all need something else to do on Sunday morning. Um, it, everything, everything depends on this because the wages of sin is death. And unless death has been destroyed, 
Jesus dying on the cross doesn't matter. Jesus' death on the cross without a resurrection doesn't matter. And Jesus' resurrection without his first death is also very much not impressive. That I came here tonight, not impressive, right? If you saw me die three days ago, more impressive. Right? Um, are you kind of with me so far? So we, we see that all these things happen, but at the same time, um, why do people have such a hard time when they come across Jesus in recognizing who he is? Even, I mean, well, after he rose, Mary, Mary thought he was a gardener. Um, Philippians 2, 5 to 8, this will help. Philippians 2, 5 to 8. Philippians 2, 5 to 8. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death upon the cross. When he took on our likeness, he actually took on our likeness. Isaiah says he had no form of majesty that we would desire. Um, when most people dealt with, with Jesus, um, it, it was hard to perceive that he was God to the point where it's, it's a really big deal whenever anybody in the scriptures recognizes who he is. It is a huge deal when Peter recognizes and says, you are the Christ. It's a huge deal when the Roman centurion says, truly this man was the son of God. These are huge moments because of how rare they are. Um, so much so that um, there's, there's speculation. Um, I've told you John and Peter really didn't get along, right? You knew that, right? Like whenever they're bickering who is the greatest, it's, it's almost always John and, and Peter because John is very smart. Um, it, like frustratingly smart, he's that kid in class. Um, but but Peter's always the one who seems to get called up for places. And Peter, Peter is not very smart. He's very bold, but but he he seems to have problems. And so they they fight back and forth and back and forth. And John has a problem with Peter um, to the point where even at the beginning of his gospel, um, like right away he gives Nathaniel or Bartholomew, depending on who you talk to, um, the confession: "You are the Christ. How do you know that? I saw you sitting under a tree." That doesn't mean what. <laughs> Um, they, they bicker when they race to the tomb. Um, John calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved over and over again. In other words, I know who the real favorite is, Peter. Um, <laughs> I, I like that these things are in the scriptures. To me, they, they show, again, it's not just the personal faith, because I can take John's ego right along with all of his wisdom. If he, okay, at the same time, the Spirit still used those words to give to you the knowledge of the Son of God. Um, when, when somebody makes a confession of this, a sinner like Peter or like the Roman centurion or, or like good old Bart, um, it, it's, it's a big deal because to look at Jesus isn't necessarily just to perceive clearly this is God, um, which is on purpose. That's, that's the thing. It's on purpose that Jesus is hiding his divinity, not because he wants it to be a secret, but because what does he end the world to do in the first place? He came to be humiliated. He came to die. He came to be made nothing, that we would have everything. For Jesus to become nothing doesn't mean that he can go around being exalted all the time yet. We have then the state of humiliation. This, you know what it is to be humiliated. The reason that Jesus isn't recognized as God everywhere he goes is because he isn't there to do what you would expect from God. Not just in the mercy, not just in the gospel, but in the suffering, in the wanting, in the being homeless, in the being mocked. How many times did they tried and stone him before he rode into Jerusalem to die? Um, this isn't like it's a secret, and Jesus just really wants you to figure out what the truth is. This isn't that, you know, this is, this is for just certain people. Jesus' divinity is, is masked, because he's going to bear the cross for us. And, and so it has to. 
It has to be humiliating. If you pull off the mask and you chuckle and you don't allow yourself to really get hit by the pie, if, if you know, if, if to be humiliated, if you pause time and don't actually allow the bad things to happen to you, it's not humiliating anymore. It's not bearing sin anymore or its consequences or its death. It's not that Jesus is trying to make it harder to find out about these things. After all, he's preaching explicitly what they are over and over and over again. It's that he has to lay them aside because he is carrying our sin. We love to sort of make Jesus, you know, the, the secret knowledge, the secret wisdom. We love to sort of put it in our heart. But the reason that he is humiliated and the reason that people have a hard time seeing it um, is because he's carrying sin and sin looks pretty ugly. And that's for you. That's why he's doing it. It's to make it more clear. That's also why he rises from the dead. We have the state of exaltation after the state of humiliation. The, the state of exaltation, the, I was raised from the dead and I walked around publicly and I interacted with like 500 people. I want people to know that I really was God because this isn't supposed to be a secret. It's supposed to be proclaimed in all nations along with the baptism. Who is God? And again, the creed norms this for us. It isn't just the miracle worker. It isn't just the... It is this. He was conceived with a different God in mind pretty quick. Are you kind of with me right now? Um, so, yeah, to proclaim the victory. Um, and we, we really only have this um, in one clear passage, and I, I want to say it's Peter. Um, he proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Um and it sounds like, of all the miracles, one that wouldn't fit. But this is where we actually want to see a victory. So sure is the victory that Jesus is celebrating in hell, even now. Which means when things look like hell down here, can we still celebrate? That's why that matters. When things look like hell down here, when there is nothing but sin and pain and suffering around us, can we still celebrate? That's what Easter is. That's how sure the victory is. This isn't a maybe. This isn't a one day we'll celebrate. This is a, we have the victory right now, right here, because of what Christ has done for us. And we see it fully in the resurrection of the dead. We'll see it fully on the last day when he comes to judge the living and the dead, that we would live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as he has risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity. Um, that, that there will be a last day when he comes to judge, but, but until that last day, there, there will be, um, well, this. So what do we do in the meanwhile? Again, we move on to the third article of the creed. We go to where God has promised to be right now. Uh, are you kind of with me on this? Questions or comments? All right, that's what I got then. Should we pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you all very much.